0: You've scanned the headlines, you've read the articles and liked the posts. Now listen to the experts themselves in the Future of Work podcast, presented by allwork.space. Today we welcome Pauline Russel, co-author of Around the World and 250 Coworking Spaces. After running a coworking space in Berlin for three years, she traveled the world of collaborative workspaces together with Dimitar Enchev to understand their uniqueness, importance, and impact on people and cities. They have visited over 450 of them across 50 cities, from Tokyo to New York. Their mission, make coworking better.
1: Okay well thank you Pauline for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to having you on the Future of Work podcast. Uh, we're really really happy to have you here and thank you for joining us from Berlin.
0: Thanks for having me. I'm also very uh, looking forward to our conversation today.
1: Fantastic. And um, I know you're in Berlin at the moment but you um you don't stay in the same spot for very long. <laughs> and I'm referring to your to your your co-working book which is a fantastic book called Around the World in 250 Co-working Spaces. Um, And to research research this book, you visited over 500 co-working spaces um, across 50 cities, which is quite incredible. And I'm looking forward to digging into that. Um, But before we go into all the research that you took for your book and the places that you visited, um, can you talk to us a little bit about co-working, uh, where it came from, what it is and how it works? Sure.
0: Thanks again for having me. I'm really happy to be on the podcast today. it's actually a really interesting question that we are often asked or that we often use to ask when we conduct workshops like who knows when co-working started and i think a lot of the people have this conception through the big brands that it started around 2010 but actually there were a lot of like movements already in the 90s actually in berlin and in other uh, regions around europe that were not called co-working per se yet or they were not branded co-working they were called shared spaces, collaborative workspaces. I'm thinking about Seabase, for instance, in Berlin, which was more of like a hacker space. And then uh, there was another initiative in Vienna uh, that started back in 2003. But the official start of the co-working as a movement uh, was in 2005 uh, in San Francisco. And the person who actually coined the term co-working as a place to work uh, was Brad Neuberg. and I think co-working is also, if we look at it, it's a it's a trend that's fostered by global innovation developments. Specifically, I would say in the IT sector, for one, uh, is the innovation in technology that allows people to work from laptops and good Wi-Fi internet from places that are not their offices. And then the second innovation, if we can call it that, is the changing habits of the new generation that grows up with flexibility and mobility in everything they do. Specifically in our case, when we look at the trend of remote work, for instance, combined with the enormous uh, uptick in startups and small companies in the last decade, co-working really came as a natural solution, as an affordable and flexible workplace. Um, so that's like when it started, people were able to share a place to work from. But the next surge I think mm-hmm. of co-working's popularity came with larger brands investing heavily in marketing. And I think that started more around 2010. So five years after the initial start of the, the movement. And that really attracted more members and inspiring entrepreneurs to create their own co-working spaces. So this influx of users and brands has really diversified and professionalized for um, the industry, drawing also individuals who appreciate both the business
1: and social benefits of co-working. Right, okay, thank you for that. Um, and you said that it comes a lot from um, from hackerspaces originally. And can you explain that term and what that means? So
0: when when we talk about hackerspaces, it was people, again, you know, very linked to the IT industry and the tech world. So it was people who were kind of like coming into a room to work on side projects um, that were mainly tech related. So that was what was called hackerspaces.
1: And that technology that is still so important today, wherever you work, whether you're online, offline, everybody needs that, that technology. Yeah. Um, and you said. That- and I just want
0: to say, if I, oh, sorry. That's okay. Um, I just want to say, like, um, if people are interested in, in base, the space I was referring to in, in the beginning of the podcast, it still exists to this day in Berlin. They have a website that is still on and where they share the whole story and the genesis of why they started it. And i think it's really interesting to look at so if you look at c base uh, in berlin you'll have the full picture of what it is and what they stand for
1: excellent we'll include that in the in the bio and the transcript at the end thank you for that and you said that uh, co-working come came from a need of flexibility and mobility and and that's more true today especially after the pandemic than perhaps ever before um so i'm interested how has co-working changed in recent years and in particular how what what impact did the pandemic have on co-working as we know it today
0: i think initially in 2020 when we the pandemic happened and everybody was wondering you know what the future would look like co-working seemed to be really threatened by the pandemic and covid and everything but i think eventually looking at it now it really propelled the the industry forward the shift away from traditional office commuting Led more people to seek co-working spaces closer to home,
1: aiding also the industry's growth overall. I would say, but yeah, I think if you want to talk to now about how uh, where co-working is going next and how it impacts the future of work, that would be great.
0: So it's actually a very interesting question. The people always ask us where is it going, and I always wish I could predict, you know, the future uh, to answer fully to that question. <laughs> Um, I can't yet predict the future, but what I can see and what we can see now uh, looking on the daily at like industry movements um, are a few different things, I think. Today, we see, for instance, co-working becoming more and more an amenity to many other concepts. Uh, Mm. We hear more and more about co-working being used to activate a building. I think this activation component is becoming very important. And that can happen in residential or even commercial buildings. Um, That also means that we see more and more commercial real estate brands or larger real estate companies looking into co-working, and they do that in few ways from what we see today in terms of like movements. Either they start their own co-working brands from scratch or they would acquire existing ones. To add also on on what I was saying maybe earlier, um, we also now see co-working operators developing more and more offers for larger companies where they develop, run and activate a space for them. Um, So the company basically just comes in and the operator takes care of the rest. That's what is called operated offices slash serviced office, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of the Interesting things we also see today, and I think it's going to develop even more in the future, is the development of co-working spaces outside of the large cities. Um, I think prior to the pandemic, everything was uh, happening a lot in London, New York, or you know, Paris. And I think the, the, the second to third-tier cities were not catching up. But I think that's also something the pandemic really shifted, um, we see that more and more co-working spaces in smaller towns are opening and obviously also in rural areas, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. I think um, rural co-working, that being said, still has a lot of challenges ahead, particularly on developing a sustainable business model. But we already have plenty of examples, and including in our book, of the positive impact of co-working spaces in less populated um, areas
1: Um, around the world yeah and really because co-working can adapt and become so many different things depending on the needs of the of its specific community the people in that area it can really sort of um i want to say infiltrate but it it can really appear anywhere can't it It can pop up like you say in the suburbs in the rural areas in town and city centers, it can really be where it needs to be. Actually,
0: while traveling, you said earlier that we visited 500 co-working spaces. We came up with a quote, which I think really illustrates what you just said. And it's, uh, co-working is the same dish, everyone cooks differently. So actually, there are so many recipes. Uh, I mean, co-working is that dish that some people will add more salt, more chili sauce or more, I don't know, pepper. But it's still co-working and I think that's that really illustrate what you're saying like it can literally the, the model can exist in many forms and in many places
1: yeah I love that that's a great <laughs> quote um, and I'm glad you brought up your book because I really want to hear about the research that you did it sounds absolutely fascinating so you visited over 500 co-working spaces across 50 cities so can you um Help us to imagine what what that was like, what that experience was like. So
0: maybe to give the the listeners a little bit of background on all of that. um, It all started because Dimitar, so my partner and I, met in a co-working space. I used to be the chief happiness officer of uh, in Berlin, uh, which means general manager, basically. And Dimitar was a member. So he was working for um, a startup accelerator at the time. And he was entrepreneur in residence in that uh, accelerator. Um, our co-working space was a little bit special in the sense that it was only accessible to early stage uh, startup founders. Um, and at the time in Berlin, 2015, as I said, there were plenty of other spaces that were targeting very different audiences, like freelancers, musicians, or even parents. And when we looked at the scene, uh, in the city itself, we really started to wonder what was the daily life looking like in other spaces around us, but also how other operators were creating value for their communities. Um, I think we were looking for those answers also for us on how can we improve and how what can we learn from having those conversations with other people who do the same as us. Because although the scene was diverse, I think, in Berlin back in 2015, coworking was not as popular as it is today, for instance. So, we thought that being able to have that, mm-hmm. those conversations uh, were really important. And so, to find out for ourselves, that's how the research uh, actually started. So, we went out in the city and we interviewed, I think, around 20-plus co-working founders and teams, always with those two questions. What's the daily life like in your space? And also, how do you create value for your members? And um, one day, we presented on a Friday, a community breakfast in our co-working space. Uh, which was open to anyone in the city um, and, uh, and beyond. We presented the outcome of our research. So what did we learn and what did we figure out uh, by talking to all those people? And that day was actually kind of interesting. We had we had a special guest uh, in the audience, which was the founder of Talent Garden. So if uh, people do not know Talent Garden, it's uh, one of Italy's largest co-working brands. Um, and so after presenting what we've learned davide the founder he came to us and said oh you guys should come to milan we have a very different kind of way of doing coworking because we have an educational component plugged to the concept we actually have a school inside and um we took his words and we just said okay let's go to milan but instead of visiting just uh, his co-working space we took the time to explore the city and we visited other concepts like a coffee so co-working slash cafe slash office, um, but also other smaller, more independent co-working spaces. And when we came back to Berlin, we saw how different Milan was from the city where we were based, and it really sparked our appetite for more. And I think from then on, we just kept on traveling, always with those two questions in mind and always eager to learn uh, what, what people are doing, why they are doing it, how they are doing it. Now to... um maybe should should i ask should i add on how that comes into a book or do
1: you wanna yeah i think it would be good to know um what i could ask you now is any interesting co-working concepts um so during your your research what were the most sort of interesting concepts you came across of all these different co-working spaces you saw and and how they fit into um their local culture that's also a,
0: a very good question because the I think we we realized very early on how different one co-working space was from the other. And that's mainly also driven by the team that creates and run the co-working space. Um, so in the book, we have 250 stories of co-working teams and concepts that are existing around the world. But I think if we go into the niche or into the things that you might not expect in terms of concepts, we have, for instance, um, co-working kitchens. So People who actually, um, they do not, you know, work on laptops, but rather they cook there. So it's like catering businesses, uh, food startups. And what's really interesting about those is that usually the co-working space um, provides the latest technology in terms of material, which, for instance, in the cooking industry is quite expensive. Um, there are a few stories in the book from Vienna or from Berlin uh, where they did partnerships with larger companies to equip the space. And then the members, they have that chance to, you know, come in and and, and use the latest technologies to develop products or to cook for uh, their catering businesses. I think we even have a story Mm -hmm. in the co-working space in Berlin that's for chefs where one of the startups developed a vegan tuna and um, from that co-working space and they won a lot of prices uh, for it. And now it's distributed in a lot of like supermarket chains across Germany. So that's one example. Wow. Another one I would really mm-hmm. love to give, just because it's usually people are really reacting when I give it, um, is a co-working space for the elderly people. So the criteria to judge, oh, wow. you see, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the criteria to judge is that you, to join, sorry, is that you need to be 60 years old plus, plus. Um, and that's really fascinating. It's actually a brand from the US, and the reason why um, Thomas, the founder, started it is because he understood that. The moment you retire you become irrelevant for the working society but he saw a lot of potential for the elderly to remain active and connected if only they would understand the technology we currently live in so he, co- he created a free co-working space so members who join they do not have anything to pay and they get uh, every day when they go to the space and um, they have the chance to, you know, learn about how, uh, what's an iPhone? How do you start an iPhone? And um, those, all those things that might sound so easy for us, but not for them. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it, it has a lot of really interesting stories. They also learn how to develop websites, uh, how to develop their Etsy shops, because a lot of the um, elderly women, for instance, they meet. So they would create their product and then they would put it yeah. on Etsy, you know. But before joining the co-working space, they didn't know about Etsy. So that's, for instance, also a story I find really interesting and quite different from what we are used to see when we think about co-working on the daily.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I was thinking, you know, some people think like you said at the start of our conversation a lot of people think of um co-working as being a shared office and that's it you know desk chair a few people around you and that's it but it's it's sort of become so much more and it's become um a term that's used to like you say it's not just sitting at a desk anymore it's uh, it's bringing people together to learn new skills um and I'm curious, you mentioned before that uh, there were some kitchen spaces. Um, What other types of sort of hands-on spaces have you seen? Like, for example, have there been uh, manufacturing spaces, um, industrial-type spaces where people can go in and and utilize the space and the machinery? Yes,
0: actually, there is. Um, There are plenty of different examples. So there are manufacturing spaces. There is one I'm thinking about, for instance, in Vienna, Um, It was actually started Mm -hmm. by a larger corporate company who understood that they, to, you know, stay relevant to the time we are living in, they needed to innovate and they found in co-working um, solution to how can we innovate with the space we have. So what was really interesting Mm -hmm. because they do hard tech, um, so anything related to building hardware and their realization when they started to get close to the startup industry and the startup world was that when... um, a startup based in Europe, want to manufacture small components um, under 20,000 pieces. They have most of the time to go very far away. So like China or other countries. Mm-hmm. And they thought, but wait, here we could manufacture that. And that would save them tremendous time and tremendous resources. And so that's how they started the yeah. co-working space. And actually, it's quite cool when, we, when you go there. It's called Factory Hub for people who are curious. Um, and you walk around, it's literally an assembly line where you can see components being printed, being manufactured. But it is a co-working space because all those things that you see, they are shared. Uh, people can actually, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's just like everything is shared. Um That's and, amazing. And um, one of the, actually a trend, you know, also those like profession focused co-working spaces are really popping up um, for instance now this year in particular we don't have some in the book but uh, if we write a second one or so- something like that that would be in it i guess and um, it's more like working for doctors or for people from the health industry um i saw co-working spaces no in france for dentists and um, that we, we we came across in germany there is like a, a chain of co-working for doctors that came out so that's also interesting to see how they are you know transforming yeah. the model and making it work for them
1: that's fantastic. And I have a really difficult question for you now. Do you have a personal favorite? Yeah, that's <laughs> out of 500 spaces. What's your favorite? It's, it's always
0: <laughs> a very difficult question. Even if I think about it for myself, I still struggle to find and say, "Oh, yeah, this one was definitely my favorite." And usually I yeah. and it's and I'm really honest when I'm saying that, that it's it's very hard for me to say if there was the one if there was only one that would be it. Um, Because I I also think that having a favorite is a little bit of a subjective type of like um, feeling or it's a subjective answer because my personal favorite, if I had one, would probably be different than yours. You know, the same as like when you recommend a hotel or a restaurant, you have to understand what do you look for uh, in in that place to to kind of like say, I really enjoyed it. So for instance, for me, um, when I... uh, Try to help people find co working spaces that they would really like. Because I think, you know, uh, there's also this analogy of like looking for a co working space sometimes feels very overwhelming. There are too many options um, mm-hmm. when you are in big cities, and it's really difficult for you to say, How do I find one that I would actually like? Um, and, and so, mm-hmm. my advice in general is like, I always tell people first ask yourself, What's your primary reason for wanting to join a co working space? Do you want to join because you want to work away from home? Um, Do you want to join because you want to connect with people? Or maybe you want to have just meetings there in a better setup than home? Or um, like really people, I I recommend them to list what they want. And then I recommend them to do some research on Google. What kind of co-working spaces are around you? How do you feel when you go on their websites? Um, What uh, their social media communication look like? What, you know, kind of like excites you? Because I remember, for instance, the co-working space I used to run. The first time I came in for the job interview, I was I had like little goosebumps. You know, it was like, wow, what a cool place. <laughs> I felt so excited. I was like, it's it was an extra motivation for me to get the job. I was like, I really want that job because the space looks fantastic. So I tell people like when you enter a co-working space, does is that the feeling you get? Or are you like, mm, I'm not sure? Mm-hmm. Because I think that's also important, you know, like to educate people in finding the right place for them so that they want to return, because otherwise we've met a lot of people who had, I would say, experiences that didn't meet their expectations. And so now when we meet them and we do workshops or, and they talk to us, they're like, you know, for me, working doesn't work. And when you da- you dig deeper, you're like, but why? And they only tried one and one, and they had a so-so experience mm-hmm. because again, you know, the, the questions or the options they had were not really for them. So my last advice on that, to mm-hmm. find your personal favorite is also to not just try one, you know, give, um, give yourself the time to try a few brands. Very often, co-working spaces, they offer, uh, like they have day passes, so book a day pass, try different options around you, if you have options, obviously, and dr- just try to compare and see yeah. what works for you. And I think that's like really interesting for people to make their own decisions and find their favorites.
1: Yeah, no, I love how you didn't answer the question, <laughs> but you did answer the question. <laughs> um, and- When we spoke before, um, we talked about how one of the things you wanted to do with the book was to make co-working better. Um, So I'm curious with your experience, both of running a space and of visiting so many spaces and spending time in so many different spaces, what do you feel is missing from co-working and how can it become better so that it becomes a really solid part of the future of work? It's
0: a great question and I I really want to add into what you just asked me in the sense that Our mission is really, as you said, to make co-working better. And the book that we self-published is just one of the ways we work to make that happen. And when I, when we say make working better, it's not necessarily about what is missing, but more so how can we, um, how can the knowledge that we have accumulated and our work experience support the constant growth of the industry? So the book is a bridge, I would say, that connects co-working to the world and vice versa. What we see from people who purchase the copy and from teams who use it is that it really educates readers on the diversity and flexible nature of co-working and all of its benefits, Mm -hmm. while also simultaneously showcasing the growth and diversity of the co-working community to the world. So to sum it up today, a lot of our work when we say we want to make co-working better, revolves around educating uh, about co-working. We focus on people that do not know about it that much. So we do a lot of work around educating organizations and institutions. So we have a special focus on education for the younger generation. We work a lot with high schools and, and universities um, so that they can understand what's co-working. And then when they enter the you know job market, they can actually look for one. Then we also educate a lot traditional brands and companies on what is co-working, but also how they can utilize it for their people. Um, And of course, uh, we help a lot co-working spaces. Having seen so many uh, brands around the world, we really help operators also build better teams and align with their overall mission and vision. And we do a lot of public knowledge sharing activities, um, online events, et cetera, uh, just so that everybody can learn Mm -hmm. from each other. To sum up my my thoughts around making co-working better, I think concentrating on education for the public at large, we really try to engage with larger audiences who may not deeply be familiar with co-working yet. And so that's one of the meanings Mm -hmm. for us behind our mission to make co-working better and creating more understanding between co-working and the public. So the book is a vehicle, I would say, for us
1: to build those bridges. exactly yeah. yeah okay um and just following on from that we are nearing the end of our conversation but um i just wanted to dive a little bit deeper into how um co-working spaces the impact they can have um on people in cities on specific areas um and i know you've covered this quite a lot in in your book um so can you talk a little bit about how co-working spaces can help support local entrepreneurs local businesses and local business communities? Sure. and um, i just for anybody that
0: listens to the podcast now, I would like for you to imagine two images. The first one would be a Google map where when you type coworking, nothing pops up. There's not no red dots anywhere on that Google map. And then the second image is like when you type coworking, you suddenly have a lot of coworking spaces that pops up around you. Now, when you picture those two, imagine the difference in terms of impacts for people who are from smaller teams, from uh, smaller companies, when they can finally or have access to a place where not only will they be able to do their work, but also be able to uh, collaborate with others, learn from others, and most importantly, also access opportunities um, that, you know, they might not have access uh, if there were no co-working spaces like events or uh, workshops or training. Um, I think what co- when we talk about the impact of co-working um, for, for local entrepreneurs and businesses, What it really facilitates is that it's like the connections on different levels in a city. So from providing a place to work and a network to a shared place for sharing ideas, knowledge also, obviously, and skills. And I would even say that we can argue that co-working spaces are becoming the most important social spaces for work globally, actually.
1: Fantastic. It's so easy to see how it's becoming such an important part of the future of work. And it's been building, not slowly, but it's been building steadily um, and uh, in recent years, more rapidly, um, uh, ever since um, that that first co-working space back in 2005. Um, so it's really fascinating to see how co-working is evolving and shaping depending on on local needs. Um, And just one last thing I wanted to ask you. Um, Often, when people think or um, ask about co-working, co-living tends to pop up in the conversation as well. Um, was this anything that you researched during your during your journey? Um,
0: we didn't re- research it as extensively as co-working, obviously, because otherwise I think and I, I also think that when we started uh, traveling, which was back in two thousand and fifteen, co-living was still you know blossoming compared to co-working that was already existing for quite some yeah. time. That being said, we did visit uh, a few co-living spaces. Um, we visit, there are actually even some in the book. I I think we have like two or three brands that are doing co-living, but I would say it's also a very different animal per se, because, you know, the way we work together versus the way we live, I think building a co-working space versus building a co-living space is very different in terms of bringing people together. Um, just because in a work Mm. context versus a home context, people act very differently and expect very different things. Um, But we are very interested Mm -hmm. about co-living as well, and and we follow uh, the trend and the co-living communities that exist around the world, because we see it becoming also a very big trend all over the world, and not just, again, in big cities, but also
1: in smaller smaller cities and, and towns. Yeah, fascinating. So that's another one to watch. Yes, exactly. Um, well, thank you so much for Pauline for coming on and talking to us today. Your um, your knowledge is just wonderful, and your enthusiasm, um, I, I just is fantastic. So thank you so much. Uh, for coming on and talking to us all about co-working and about co-living as well. Um, so can you tell us uh, where we can find a copy of your book and um, how people can contact you if they want to learn more about all things Yes,
0: coworking? so the book which I have here um, can be found on our website, which is uh, coworkiesbook.com. I'm sure we'll put the link uh, in the in the summary of this episode. Um, And to connect with me or with Dimitar, don't hesitate to come on LinkedIn. Uh, We are quite active there. We also have an Instagram account at Coworkies uh,
1: where we are quite active. So that usually the channels where you'll find us. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And um, I look forward to having another catch up in a year or so and seeing how different things are then. Yeah, thanks a lot for Mm -hmm. having me. Thank you. Have a good day. You too.
0: If it's impacting the future of work, It's in the Future of Work podcast by Allwork.space.